Hallelujah. Well, today we're going to continue in our series on prayer. And my message today is entitled, When You Pray. So there's a lot of things, a lot of places in the Word of God that gives us instruction for prayer. So um, we're going to start with 1 Thessalonians 5, verses uh, 12 through 24. And when the Apostle Paul was finishing his letter to the, let me, I'm sorry, we're talking about prayer and I haven't prayed. So, <laughs> Lord Jesus, help me. <laughs> help me, Jesus. All right, Father, we thank you for your word today. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to help me. To that you fill my mouth with your word. Thank you for bringing out the things that I need to share with your people, Lord God. And we just commit this time to you of study and um, that we can find the treasures, the hidden treasures that you've laid aside for us. Give us what we need today. Give us what we need in this hour, Lord God. We pray because we know that you hear us. And we thank you for answering our prayers today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you for indulging me. <laughs> I appreciate it. Okay. So in, in um, Thessalonians, um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul is closing out his letter to the church of Thessalonica, and he left them with a list of instructions. So I, when I read this, I think about like a parent dropping their kids off at college and saying, okay, before I let you go, you have to remember these things. These are the things you need to remember. So in verse 12, it starts with, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in, in the Lord and admonish you. And to esteem them very highly because of their, highly in love because of their work. Okay, so that's the first thing. Second thing, be, be at peace among yourselves. So live in peace with one another. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to good to one another and to everyone. So it's to one another and to everyone do good. So we see it's like a, almost like a machine gun list of things, of instructions. And then going into verse 16, he says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophesying, but test everything, hold fast to what is good, and abstain from every form of evil. So Paul is summarizing what living in Christ looks like. It's about respect for our leaders, peace with one another, um, help those who are afraid, help those who are immature, and to l- live a life full of prayer and a joyful attitude. So, And then he adds the blessing. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who called you is faithful, and he will surely do it. Amen. So if we look at these verses from this section, we're going to focus on in this ESV, it's all one sentence. So that's why I'm going to treat it verses 16 through 18. So this is one complete thought. He says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So all these three instructions, they have a feel of a continuous motion. Um, of a continuous activity. We're talking about always 
without ceasing in all circumstances. So this is not an occasional thing. This is a lifestyle that he wants us to pick up. He says, pray without ceasing. And this instruction is between the two bookends of rejoice always and give thanks always. So that lets us know that when we pray, we can begin from a position of joy and victory. And then we can end with our thanksgiving, knowing that God has heard our prayer. Amen. So in First John 5, verse 15, he says, Since we know that he hears us when we make our requests, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. So that's the confidence that we have so we can live in a thanksgiving and a rejoicing. So if we know that we have this kind of access, why wouldn't we pray without ceasing? Amen. So the Apostle Paul was one that spoke the most about praying without ceasing, that that phrase without ceasing. Um, For the church in Rome, in um, Romans 1, verse 8 and 10, he said, First, I thank my God through Christ Jesus our Lord for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may at last succeed in coming to you. So in, it goes on to say that I desire to impart to you a spiritual gift. So he had this hunger in him to get to the to the church in Rome because he said, I want to give you a gift. And so I, I pray for you without ceasing. I make mention of you always in my prayers because my heart is tied to yours. I want to be a part of what you're doing. So this is this is the part of the prayer without ceasing to the church in Thess- Thessalonica. He was praying without ceasing because of their steadfast faith and love. So in First Thessalonians, um, in chapter 1, verses 2 through 7, he said, We give thanks to God always for you. And this is um, uh, Paul, Timothy, and uh, Silas. The, the three of them were writing the letter together. And he said, We give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word but in power of the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You know what kind of men we were, Proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So Paul is thanking without ceasing because that church responded to the gospel even in the midst of persecution. And he said that um, in verses uh, 6 through 12, he gives the background of of how he came to them with all the... um, um, he came in the power of the Spirit, um, and he didn't throw his weight around. He said that I didn't throw my weight around trying to prove who I was to anybody. He just came in sincerity of faith to preach the gospel. He um, he was building his uh, tents, and he didn't become a burden on the church. He just came to share, and they responded in faith, and he appreciated them. He said the people of Thessalonica saw how the apostles loved and respect them, and they received the gospel. And so going on, to chapter 2 
in verses 8 through 13, he said, For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. So because you received it in faith, it's working in you. And so he was saying, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I constantly thank God for you. So this church of Thessalonica was the same church that he instructed. Now you pray continuously. You pray without ceasing. So we're going to look at what it means to pray without ceasing. The the word, the Greek word, um, without ceasing is a is a single word and it means without intermission incessant incessantly which means without interruption constantly and it also means with great care and perseverance so when we pray we are praying without interruption um and we're praying constantly and we're praying with great care and perseverance and throughout the scriptures the word describes prayer um um, this word without ceasing is always connected to prayer giving things. So there's nothing else in the word that he says does do this without ceasing. There, this is the only thing he, he says that about prayer and giving things. But there's no, like he doesn't say, you know, to, you know, work miracles without ceasing. He doesn't, those things follow along. He, there are other things that he never gives that command, but everything else he kind of tells us to rest <laughs> and to relax. But prayer, he says to do it without ceasing. Um, now prayer without ceasing is not a single prayer that lasts all day long, you know, cause that's where some people get messed up with that. Um, it's a daily walk with the Lord. It's carrying a conversation with him because you know he's with you all day long. You can talk to him at all times. So whenever we have something to mention, we're continually speaking to God or we're continually listening to what he has to say. There's a Greek scholar that wrote that this verse does not mean a sort of nonstop praying. Rather, it implies a constantly reoccurring prayer growing out of a settled attitude of dependence on God. So that has to be our soil that we're growing from, a settled attitude of dependence on God. And so from that grows a constantly recurring prayer. Um, whether words are uttered or not, we're lifting up that prayer to God in confidence and expectation that he will answer us. Um, the mirror translation um, translates that um, verse about pray without ceasing as constantly engage your thoughts in worshipful prayer. That's that's what prayer without ceasing, constantly connecting your thoughts to worshipful prayer. So and prayer without ceasing also includes a um perseverance so like what we were talking about before it's choosing not to let go of faith once you've prayed so when you pray without ceasing and you thank god you believe what you receive what you pray you don't give up you hold on to faith that is praying without ceasing you don't give up and you don't let go so jesus had a custom of going by himself to pray um and we'll look at that more a little bit next week um, but his disciples asked him specifically, teach us how to pray. And so they didn't ask him to teach us how to multiply bread. <laughs> you know, he didn't say, teach us how to walk on water. That was pretty cool. You know, he didn't. They said, would you teach us how to pray? And because there must have been something that they saw different in the way that Jesus prayed that was different from what they were used to. It was something completely 
I want to say foreign, but foreign is not really the right word. It's a, it was a new and living way that they hadn't been exposed to before. And that was compelled to ask them. So the, the disciples, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we need to be willing to learn how to pray, how to pray more effectively, and how to continue to grow in our prayers. So we'll look at um, Luke 11. And starting in verse 1, this is the where he's saying the Lord's Prayer. It says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So he said, we're your disciples. John taught his disciples to pray. Now we want you to teach us to pray. And so when he said, he said, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. So when he said to them, when he said to them, when you pray, this is what you say. He gave them a specific line to say. And and we went through all this um, a little while back when we talked about the Lord's Prayer. Um, but we'll just say that he said, call him father. You start your prayer calling him father, recognizing you know, there, there's a place for reverence and recognizing you are the almighty God. You know, you are the God of all flesh. Nothing is too hard for you. But when you come to him asking for your daily needs, you, you come to him as father, as Abba, as your papa. And you say, hallowed be your name. That means holy, sanctified, set apart. Your name is not like any other name. I don't call anyone else papa but you. I don't call anybody else my father but you because I know that you are the source of my life. And so this is this is the approach that we come to God. And then secondly, when we come to him in that kind of love and reverent respect, it's respect, but it's there's an intimacy there um, that is outside of any kind of religion. It, it doesn't have any that anything to do with religion. Um, it comes it it's that. Um, that conversation with your father like a child with his father um, and you say let your kingdom come so we're agreeing with heaven for the father's rulership and care to be dominant and having the final word in our in our world today we want your word to have the final word he says give us today our daily bread and that word daily bread is actually tomorrow bread that's that's actually what the Greek word is tomorrow bread. So he's saying, give us tomorrow's bread today. He's a, he said, give us the supernatural provision that we need for today. Um, what's laid up for tomorrow? I want it now, so we can expect that now. Um, and he said, so we're not just living off of just enough on the crumbs. We can actually expect to live in that um, that full provision of tomorrow's bread today. He said, forgive our sins, for we ourselves forgive those who are indebted to us. And um, so this is what we talked about when we talked about forgiveness. This is Jubilee. So as we are forgiven, we forgive everyone else around us. We don't hold anyone in judgment. We hold no one indebted to us. We set them all free. And he said, and lead us not into temptation. So, of course, we know that James said that, that God is not the one that, that brings temptation to us. He's not tempting anyone with evil. Um, he, he is, um, he 
actually provides a way of escape for us. In uh, 1 Corinthians 10.13, it says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to men, but God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So he provides a way of Escape. So basically he's saying that I'm not bringing adversity to you, but when you find yourself in adversity, I will make a way of escape for you. So it reminded me of Psalm 23 where it says, you lead me beside still waters, you restore my soul, you, you lead me in paths of righteousness. But if I go through the valley, you know, if I choose to make that left turn and I'm going through the valley of the shadow of death, You're still with me and your rod comfort me and you make a way out for me. So he walked you. So even if we find ourselves in the midst of adversity, we find ourselves in the midst of temptation. And Jesus said, don't be surprised. (laughs) You know, tribulations come. Don't be surprised when you find yourself there. But when you do look at him, look at him and he always makes a way of escape for us. Amen. So this the Lord's prayer is a good foundation of prayer. And and really, if we just said amen here we it's it's really a good foundation we can live a long time with just this but there's all these different places throughout the word that gives us instructions to pray so we're going to look at a few of them today so the first one in our instructions for prayer is um we pray unseen to our unseen father um so we're going to look at matthew chapter 5 verse 46 and this is um Jesus was this is part of the sermon on the mount and Jesus was instructing his disciples to love your enemies and not to retaliate and in verse 46 he said it's easy this is from the voice translation he said it's easy to love those who love you even the tax collector can love those who love him and it is easy to greet your friends even outsiders do that but you are called to something higher. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. But when you do these righteous acts, do not do them in front of spectators and do not do them where you can be seen, let alone lauded by others. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So he was comparing the way that the you know, the, the religious would like pray in the streets and make a big show of everything that they did with all the good things that they're doing. You know, don't make a show of yourself. You know, you're you're called to a higher way of living. In verse five, he said, likewise, when you pray, don't be as the hypocrites who love to pray loudly in the, at the synagogue or on the street corners. Their concern is to be seen by men. You have all they have already earned their reward when you pray. Go into your private room, close the door, and pray unseen to your father who is also unseen. Then your father who sees you in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not go on and on excessively and strangely like the outsiders because they think their verbosity, (laughs) verbosity will let them be heard by their deities. Don't be like them. Your prayers need not be labored, lengthy, or grandiose, for your father knows what you need before you even ask him. So he tells us to pray in confidence, and he, but he's, he doesn't want us to think that he's hard to get a hold of, or that if we pray it long enough, if we pray it the right words the long enough, um, as 
you know, over and over and over and over. It's not supposed to be a labored thing. It's a heart of trust. We're not double-minded in how we're approaching God. We're single-minded, knowing that he hears us, knowing that we will receive the things that we've asked of him. So this goes on to our part two. When we pray, we pray in faith. We pray without being double-minded. In Hebrews 11, verse 6, um, in the message translation, it says that it's impossible to please God apart from faith. And why? Because anyone who wants to approach God must believe both that he exists and that he cares enough to respond to those who seek him. So when we pray, he is a reward of the rewarder of those who seek us. He, he cares enough to respond to us when we call. So when we pray, we must believe that God cares about us. That's our faith. In Matthew chapter 21, verses uh, 21 through 23, Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only, not only do you, okay, so this was at the fig, pier, fig tree. So the fig tree was cursed and they said, how did you do this? This is um, Matthew's version of Mark 11. So this is that. So Jesus said, I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but you can also say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea. And it will be done. If you believe, you will receive what you ask in prayer. And again, in Mark 11, it says, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, anyone who says to this mountain, go and throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, for whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you received it, and it will be yours. So this believing, this believing that you've received it, that's a, that's a confidence, that's a single-mindedness. Um, and we have to ask without doubting, ask without wavering in our heart. Um, and we'll go on to James chapter 1. Uh, in verse 5, it says, If you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the who is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So the the doubting is really a the double-mindedness where you're going in two directions. And he's where James is saying that God is single-minded. You know, where it says he gives generously, that word really means that he's single-focused in what he's doing. His all of his attention is on you. When when he when you are praying to him, he's not multitasking where he's got his attention in a lot of different directions. You know, he is absolutely focused on you. So he wants you to be absolutely focused on him and his answer when you pray. In the voice translation, it says, if if you have, if you don't have all the wisdom you need for this journey, then all you have to do is ask God for it. And God will grant you all that you need for he gives lavishly and never scolds you for asking. The key is that your request be anchored by a single-minded commitment to God. Those who depend only on their own judgment will be tossed like the sea. So when you look at things from your own point of view while you're trying to believe God, but you're looking at what's seen instead of looking at what's unseen, when, you, when you're like this, you're going to be tossed like the wind. It's those who depend on their own judgment are those 
are like those tossed on the seas, carried away by the wind and picked up by any wind, carried away by the wave and picked up by any wind. Those adrift on their own wisdom shouldn't assume that they will, that the Lord will rescue them and bring them anything. The splinter of divided loyalty shatters your compass and leaves you dizzy and confused. I was like, when I read that, I was like, that's really something. When we when we find ourselves splintered and fragmented in the way that we approach God, we find ourselves dizzy and confused, and um, and that's not the way to approach God. We need to approach God in 100% confidence and trust, um, and single-minded that He's going to bring the answer. When we try to rely on our own wisdom and bring our own answer. We're not going to um, be able to hear what he's saying. We need to be single-minded looking for him to respond, and he will always respond to us when we do that. Okay, number three, we pray with perseverance without ceasing. So we were talking about this before, but we're confident that God will respond. In Luke 18, um, this is a parable that Jesus gave to his disciples about praying without quitting. It says, Jesus told them a story showing that it was necessary for the, them, the disciples, to pray consistently and to never quit. He said there once was a judge in some city who never gave God a thought or cared nothing for the people. A widow in that city kept, kept after him. My rights are being violated. Protect me. And he never gave her the time of day. But after this went on and on, he said to himself, I care nothing about what God thinks and even less about what people think. But because this widow won't quit badgering me, I better get something done and see that she gets justice. Otherwise, I will end up getting beaten black and blue by her pounding. So. <laughs> and um, so then Jesus said, then the master said, do you hear what the judge, the corrupt judge is saying? He's so what makes you think that God won't step in and work justice for his chosen people who continue to cry out for help? Won't he stick up for them? I assure you that he will and he will not drag his feet. Hallelujah. So when you're calling to God for help, you're not badgering him, knocking, knocking, knocking like he won't answer the door. He's not resisting us at all. He is he is much more willing to help us. Uh, this is like a compare and contrast parable. And this is something that the Jewish parables, the teachers would do this a lot. When you think about Jesus, when he was talking about God caring for us, he said, he said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father give good gifts to, to you when you ask? So this is what he's comparing. He's like, if this corrupt judge will respond to a persistent widow, widow how much more will our righteous king respond to his own bride? That's us. Amen. So he's going to respond quickly to us. Amen. But we need to just not give up. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't let go. Because he's he's quick to respond to us. He will answer us without fail. Okay. Part four. Number four. He said, pray without reservation, which means pray for your enemies. Pray without um, having any reservation. Like, I don't want to pray for them. I, I, you hold back your prayers for certain people because of whatever, you know, because they're your enemies. <laughs> you don't want to pray for them. Um, this is Luke's account of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus had just finished reading, declaring the Beatitudes. And in um, in chapter 6, verse 27, 
He said, but I say to those who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless them who curse you, and pray for them who abuse you. So when when somebody's abusing you, you can pray for them. And um, in the message translation, it says, to you who are ready to hear this truth, I say, love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. So when we find ourselves in difficulties with people, it's easy to, to what they call match energy. You know, if you give me something rough, I'm going to give you something rough back. You know, that's that's something that that's the world's way of working. That's not the kingdom way of working. When when we are reviled, we're supposed to not revile in turn. We're supposed to love. We're supposed to give them more. Um, so he says, when someone gives you a hard time, then you respond with with supple moves of prayer for that person. If someone slaps you in the face, stand there and take it. If someone grabs your shirt, gift wrap your best coat and make it a present for them. If someone makes an unfair advantage of you, use the occasion occasion to practice a servant's life. No more payback. Live generously. You think you think about this, this is the life that Jesus led. You know, he did not he did not um, speak up for himself even unto death. You know, he lived generously. He laid down his life, and he's called us to do the same. He said, here is a simple rule of thumb for behavior. Ask yourself what people, what you want people to do for you, and you grab the initiative and do it for them. So this is, and in, included in all this is praying for those who hurt you. That's, that's included in a, in a generous living life. Okay, number five, we pray for boldness in the times of persecution. So going back to this, when we are in, um, when we're living generously and we're under trial, we're under temptation, we're under persecution, and there's a lot of things going on in the world right now where, you know, we need to love people that are acting unlovable, you know, but they are lovable because God loves them. So if God loves them, we can love them too. Amen. So, um, but we can pray for boldness. We can, because we don't have to cause that um, to allow us to compromise the gospel or compromise the Lord Jesus Christ. So in um, Acts chapter four, in starting in verse 23, um, and being let go from prison, they, that's Peter and John, went to their own companions. So they were just reprimanded for preaching uh, the name of Jesus. And they were let go. And Peter and John, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So when they heard it, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Who by the mouth of your servant David said, why do the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were all gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before before to be done and verse 29 now lord look at their threats 
and grant your servants that with all boldness we may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders would be done by the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Amen. So Peter and John were preaching the gospel and they were saying that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Um, but the rulers of the synagogue, the Sadducees, the chief priests, they all threatened him. And they said, don't preach anymore in the name of Jesus. And they were threatening him. And then they finally they released him and said, you better not. You know, <laughs> and so they went to their own community of faith. When they were released from prison, they went right to the to the body of Christ. They went right to people of like precious faith is what Peter called it. And together they prayed. And what did they pray? They said, Jesus, look at what they're doing. Look at what they're doing. Look at their threatenings. God is not unjust. He knows what's going on. And he said, see what they're doing, and we ask that you give us more boldness to be able to stand strong in the midst of this persecution. Give us boldness and courage to not back down. And that's something that we all need. We all need more courage. <laughs> you know, honestly, there is something we can never have enough of is to have courage to stand, um, especially when things that are seen are looking like they're pushing against us. We need to have courage to be able to stand and stand and stand therefore. Um, and then he, they also asked for uh, signs, wonders, and miracles and healings to accompany them. And when they prayed these things, now when I was looking at this, I was I was thinking these are things that are promised in the Word of God already. So when they're asking for healings, that's something that Jesus already said was going to be theirs. Um, but don't let that trip you up. You know, if it's on you to ask for it, ask for it. It says, ask and you will receive. You have not because you ask not. So go ahead and ask for healings, for signs, wonders, and miracles. Ask God to do something amazing to, to, to demonstrate his power to people who are not believing so that they can be converted and they can see the truth of who he is. And so God responded to their prayer by shaking the house and filling them with the Holy Spirit and power. Amen. So he always responds. He rushes to respond to those prayers. Um, so the next one, uh, number six, is to pray without judgment or pray without trusting in our own strength. And this is from Luke 18 again, uh, starting in verse 9. This is um, the parable of the t- uh, Pharisee and the tax collector. In verse 9, it says, he also told this parable to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and also treated others with contempt. So this was a very um, specific thing that he was he was pointing out, a lot of the hypocrisy that was going on from people who trusted in their own righteousness, and they also looked down at others that didn't match their standard. Okay, so in uh, verse 10, um, Jesus said that two two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a day and I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector standing afar off would not even lift his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, then Jesus went on to say, 
I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So this parable is talking about the power of humility. Um, So this is another compare and contrast parable. Um, God wants us us to come to him in humility. Um, This does not mean that he wants us to stand at a distance and beat our breast and say, I'm not worthy. You remember what um, Pastor David was teaching about Brother Hagen, where Brother Hagen was seeing the Lord and was saying, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. And Jesus said, yes, you are worthy. I've made you worthy. Stand up. You know, when God tells us to stand, we can stand um, and we are not to cower away from him and and act like we're not. We're not worthy to be there. We're worthy because of his blood. Jesus is our righteousness. But that's why we can't stand in our own righteousness. The Pharisee was having a hard time because he was standing on everything that he did right. He was standing on his own righteousness. I give tithe. I fast. I pray. I do all these things. And I'm not like those other people that sin all the time. And so when you stand in your own righteousness, you're bringing your filthy rags to God. And that's not going to be accepted either. We have to accept what he says. Humility accepts what God has done for us as a gift, not as a wage or that we've earned. Amen. So God, um, in James chapter four, verse six, it says God resists or opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So we need to approach God with humility. And that means coming as a child, you know, asking the father for what we need. Amen. Um, and finally, number seven is we pray with devotion in community. And in Acts chapter two, this is um, right after um, uh, the day of Pentecost. They had all received the the Holy Spirit and, and there were 3000 added to the church um, in chapter two, verses uh, 41 through 43. It says those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3000 were added in their number that day. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders, signs, wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So when God puts us in a body of believers, we're there to strengthen one another. We can learn with one another. Um, we can learn the word of God. Um, he calls us to get together to have friendship and communion with each other. And he calls us to pray together. So so he brings us together and devotes and uh, to hearts devoted to prayer. And when he does, we experience the miracle working power of God. And that's what he's called us to here. Amen. So. That's everything. So that's why we should pray, and that's how we should pray. Amen. So we're going to pray now. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for ministering your word to us, Lord God. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, to bring to our remembrance the things that we need to pray when we need to pray it. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are with us and that you're helping us, that you are our helper. You are our paraclete. You come alongside us to strengthen us when we need it. And Father God, we thank you to send your word to heal us and deliver us from all destruction, Lord God. We ask that you send your word to our church family, Father God, those who are in need of healing right now. We pray for them to be strengthened and to be healed, that you heal broken bodies, Lord God. We thank you that we are made whole by your stripes. I thank you, Jesus 
us, for strengthening us um, when we're in our weakness, Lord God, we are made strong. In our weakness, we are made strong because of your strength and because of your grace. And we thank you, Lord God, that you perfect everything that concerns us. We thank you for the confidence that you cause us to come to your presence with more boldness and um, to ask um, more bold things that we've ever asked before. Father, we just thank you for giving us the courage to pray the prayers that you want us to pray, Lord God. We ask that you would give us the words to pray, Lord God, that we would pray prayers that would cause the room that we are to shake and to cause us to be filled with another infilling of your power, of your hope and of your spirit and of your miracle working power. We thank you that you cause all things to work together for our good and because we are called according to your purpose. And we thank you for that. We commit it to your care right now in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, y'all. See you on Sunday.